Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Freedom Church of the Palm Beaches. We're glad you're here. Uh, stay tuned. We got a good Bible study in Genesis chapter 6 or 7. I'm sorry. No, we did 7 last week. 8. I do review, so you know. Uh, let's open up in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you for an opportunity to get the to church tonight where we can fellowship with one another, where we can worship you, where we can praise you, where we can learn of you. Lord, we just love every minute of it. Those of us that are in, in, what can I say, saturated, filled up, that are brimmed with your Holy Spirit, just can't wait for, for times to get together where we can be uh, together in a common bond with our Savior, Jesus Christ. So, Lord, thank you for being here. Uh, we want to hear what your Spirit says to us tonight as we look into chapter 8 of uh, Genesis, Lord. Lord, to you be the glory for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Again, everybody online, we're glad you're here. And those of you here, we're glad you're here too. Um, just want to welcome you to Freedom Church at the Palm Beaches. We're in wherever you are in the world. You know, we're in, in South Florida or West Palm Beach area. So we're glad to have you. Um, so stay tuned. So um, if you're on our website, you already know how to get there. On the website, you can find out what we're all about. You can find out our leaders. You can go back for several years, probably five, six years, and, and pick up any sermon you want to hear or know about. And, um, and you can uh, just uh, watch it and, and uh, be blessed. And if you want to donate online, there's a button, give button. You can just give and and uh, that'll keep the church going forward. Not just our church, but all the churches that you represent out there. You got to keep your tithes going to your church, special offerings to whatever church you may may want to, or whatever ministry you may want to. So, um, um, so hit the hit the uh, you know the give button, and remember, God's church is going to prevail one way or the other. You supporting the financial efforts and the missionaries involved with the church is going to quicken the gospel into all the world. So uh, keep up the good work. Um, also, um, let's see. We want to remind you every Thursday we're here, 7.15 p.m. And so you can tune in next Thursday. You can tune in Sunday at 10 a.m. And we'll be here uh, this Sunday, um, 10 a.m., and we, we invite your presence. For those of you that um, belong here, your men, Saturday morning, 9 o'clock, that will not be aired, but we'll be meeting again, as usual, every Saturday at 9 a.m. So that's about it for, you know, I just do want to remind everybody, since this COVID thing's rampant and a lot of people are running in fear and even the church, you have no reason to fear you're a child of the Most High God, and um, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. That's us. So we abide in the shadow of all the Almighty. Um, let's see. This is going to lead us in some, some worship. I did pray. I did pray. But we do like to pray. I can pray again. Yeah, yeah Father, in Jesus' name. We pray, Lord, you said, you said to ask and it shall be given, seek and you shall find, knock and the door shall be opened for everyone who asks receives. 
everyone. And we thank you, Lord. We know you hear our prayers. Blessed be your holy name. Thank you for hearing us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for calling us into the kingdom. But most of all, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to redeem us from the pit. Oh, Lord, we love you, Lord. We love you tonight. And we always will. Holy Spirit, help us with that. Because we're human beings. We go up, we go down. We're happy, we're sad. But, Lord, we love you. And we yes, want to serve you all of the days of our life. And Holy Spirit, we need your power to do so. So baptize afresh, us afresh in your Holy Spirit, that days of refreshing might come from your presence, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. May our praise and worship be acceptable to you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and love and mercy and for your forgiveness. Hallelujah. Before we move forward, just a quick reminder for everyone to please silence your cell phones. We don't want any distractions. There's enough chaos out there. Amen. Let's just tune in into the Holy Spirit and be immersed and be bathed and overflow in the Holy Spirit. Those that are able to listen up and praise and worship the Lord. We love you, Jesus.
Lord. Do you believe? Amen. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, we believe. Hallelujah. We worship In this time of desperation When all we know is doubt and fear There is only one foundation We believe We believe
Amen, we believe. Hallelujah. Amen, amen. We adore you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. can save us from our sin. He is our hope, our righteousness. Jesus, only Jesus.
us. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank Amen. you, Lord. Jesus. Thank you. Father, it's all about your son, Jesus, at Freedom Church and at Palm Beaches, Lord. Father, his roots went too, well, his roots went way down deep into our hearts. Yes, Lord. And Lord, to pull him out would be to kill us because we fell in love with you so many years ago. And we thank you for your love that sustained us all these years as we walked and talked and breathed Jesus. We can relate here at Freedom Church with what the early apostles said, that in him, in Jesus, we live and we move and we have our being. Lord, this church is always going to proclaim your name. I speak it right here, right now. We're always going to proclaim your name in this world, in this community. Father God, it's all about Jesus. Yes, Lord. And we thank you, Lord Jesus. It's all about you. It's Jesus, only Jesus. And that way, Father, you're glorified through your Son. We love you, Lord, with all of our heart. Let us hear what your Holy Spirit has to say to us tonight. And may you receive the glory for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you, church. You can, you can be seated. You can turn to Genesis chapter 8. Genesis chapter 8. I named this chapter, We're All in the Same Boat. You got the clean, you got the unclean in this boat. And those that planned ahead, ahead, were on these by this boat. And we want to make sure that anyone listening over line that you make this boat. We don't want you to miss it. Because there's a narrow way and there's a wide way to destruction or salvation. Jesus told us the narrow way is the way that leads to life and the, and the broad way is the way that leads to destruction. And in Genesis chapter 6 and 7, we find out that many took the wide gate and only eight took the narrow gate. That's not a good percentage. So we want the world to have a higher percentage than that, a larger ratio. So we're going to read chapter 8 of Genesis. I'm reading from the New American Standard, and it's 22 verses, but these are long verses pretty much, okay? <coughs> Noah's already on the ark. They're already, the water's already been pre prevailing, and we're going to continue there. Then God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the cattle that were with him in the ark, and God caused a wind to pass over the earth, and the water subsided. Also, the fountains of the deep and the floodgates of the sky were closed, and the rain from the sky was restrained, and the water receded steadily from the earth. And at the end of the 150 days, five months that is, the waters decreased. In the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, 
the ark rested upon a mountain of Ararat. The water decreased steadily until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains became visible. Then it came about at the end of forty days that Noah opened the windows, window, I should say singular, of the ark which he had made. And he sent out a raven, and it flew here and there upon the water, was dried until the water was dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove from, from him to see if the water was abated from the face of the land. But the dove could find no resting place for her soul. So she returned to him in the ark, for the waters were on the surface of the earth. Then he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark. So he walked, waited yet another seven days, and again he sent out the dove from the ark. The dove came to him towards evening, and behold, in her beak was a freshly picked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the water was abated from the earth. Then he waited yet another seven days and sent out the dove, but she did not return to him again. Now it came about on the six hundredth and first year in the month, in the first month on the first day, on the first of the month, the water was dried up from the earth. Then Noah removed the covering of the ark and took, and behold, the surface of the ground was dried up. In the second month, on the twenty-seventh day of the month, the earth was dry. Then God spoke and said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, and they may breathe, that they may breed abundantly on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wives and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, that every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by their families from the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and he took every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. The Lord smelled the soothing aroma, and the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. And I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. Interesting chapter. God remembered Noah, and he remembered the beasts on the ark also. This shows you, you know, that God's omnipotent, you know, he's all-powerful, and he's omniscient. He remembers everything. Jeremiah says this in chapter 23, verse 24, Can any hide himself in a secret places that I have not seen him? 
Do I not fill the heavens and the earth? And then we go to Psalm 139, and you've heard the verse a hundred times. Where shall I go from thy presence? Or where shall I flee from your spirit? Now that you ascend to the heavens above or the earth beneath, behold, God's there. I told you, Mount, Mount uh, Everest is 29,028 feet above sea level, and the Mariana Trench in the South Pacific is 35,448 feet. And God is there, and God is there. He's up in the heavens. He's on the earth. He's omniscient. He's everywhere at the same time. God made the wind pass over the earth, and the waters subsided. You know, that tells you something. Since the Old Testament really is a picture or a shadow of things to come, here we see that Almighty God has the power and the authority to tell the wind what to do. And didn't we see that somewhere familiar in the New Testament? Jesus walking on the water, the, and, and several times, he's walking on the water, it was rough. The, the, the disciples are in the middle of lake, the Sea of Galilee. They're striving to stay, maintain it. Jesus is walking on the, the, the five, six, seven-foot waves. Who knows what it is? He's walking on the waves. And when they see him and recognize him, thinking he's a ghost, and then when he says, Behold, it's I, it is I, you know, they invited him into the boat, and as soon as he got into the boat, he rebuked the, the wind. And the wind obeyed him, and to the point where the disciples are going, saying, like, Who is this man? Who is this man? Even the wind and the sea obey him. And we see that God, in this, in this chapter, he caused the wind to pass over. He spoke to the wind, and the wind did what it was supposed to do, dry up the land. And Jesus did the same thing several times. Matthew 8, 23, Mark 4, 33, and Luke 5, 12. Listen, you know, I'm starting a study, and we're going to be doing it. I don't know if it's going to be this Sunday, but it's going to be the miracles of Christ. There's 11 miracles God, the Lord Jesus does in chapter 8 of Matthew all the way to chapter 9 of Matthew. There's 11 miracles that Jesus did, from casting out demons to rebuking the wind to multiplying fish and bread. And, you know, he's done that in the Old Testament. As I showed you in chapter 1, Jesus is the, is the creator. He said, let there be light, and there was light. The third verse. First verse, we see the Father. Second verse, we see the Holy Spirit. And the third verse, we hear the God speak. And we know that Jesus is the Word of God. So God controls the weather. Now, don't go blaming hurricanes such and such on God, okay? Because the reason why is at the end of this chapter, because because of man's disobedience, God destroyed the earth, and the axis tilted to 23 and a half degrees, and now we have seasons, winter and fall and spring and summer. And because of those seasons, the winds change, and they cause hurricanes and tornadoes, and God didn't do that. We did it. We sinned to the point where, what did God say in this chapter? He said, for man's heart is deceitful from his youth. 
Don't you have to teach your kids to be good? You don't have to teach them to be bad. They automatically are bad. I mean, we love them. They're beautiful. But their nature is to destroy and to be bad and to do bad things. Before the flood, you know, the, the, the earth's canopy, the water vapor canopy, the earth was, was uh, tropical, as I showed you. And when the sun warmed the, the water vapor barrier, it warmed the whole water around the face of the earth, and it kept the earth tropical. And the water was, you know, the, the plants got their, their water from under the earth, but that water vapor barrier crashed, and the floodgates of the, of the earth came up, and there came water from below and water from above, and before you know it, the mountains were covered to 18 inches or 18 inches, 15, 15, um, 15 cubits above. So that's a seven and a half feet above every the highest mountain. God is also showing us that he controls the destruction of the earth and he also controls the recovery process as we see beginning in this chapter. In verse 4, the ark rested in the seventh month on the 17th day. This is the 17th day of Nisan, which is April, March and April. It's also known to you as Passover. The resurrection, I mean, the, the, it actually says here on the 17th day. The 17th day of Nesson is three days after the 14th, which is shows you the resurrection, the three-day resurrection process. That's another shadow of the Lord Jesus coming at Passover to pass over you who believe in him so that you have eternal life. It's probably the same exact day when the ark came to rest. And the resurrection, of course, is the ultimate rest for the believer or for mankind that takes refuge in him. The ark rested, and our ark of salvation is Jesus. You well know that. I showed you that, and Noah built an ark, and it saved the people. It's called the ark of salvation. Moses was put into a little ark and sent down the Nile River in a little ark. It's an ark of salvation. And now we find out that this ark that Noah built was designed to tell a story about Jesus. There was one door. There's one way to heaven, to salvation, is the ark of salvation. There's one door in the ark. There's one window in the ark. The ark was covered with pitch, which is the seal of the Holy Spirit to keep the water from coming in. So we see, and we did a whole study on that, and I can't get into it or we'll never finish this chapter, but it's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, the ark of salvation, and he is our ark of salvation today. And it rested on the mount, the, uh, the mountains of Ararat. This is modern-day eastern Turkey, okay? 
Mount Ararat is 16,946 feet above sea level. It's frozen 10 to 11 months out of the year because of the season changes. Noah built the ark in Mesopotamia, and it only traveled about 500 miles. That's it. God had control of that, too, I'm sure. Maybe it went around the world. Who knows? But it came back 500, 500 miles from where they built the ark. Expedition teams say they've seen the ark on Mount Ararat, and it's 99.9% .9 sure it was the ark. And it was preserved up there. There's ancient sightings of the ark. Babylonian writings refer to the ark. The Greek writings refer to it. Josephus, the first century Jewish historian, refers to it, you know, uh, in 75 A.D., uh, says that the locals took relics and showed them off in their day about this was they had gotten at the ark. Modern-day sightings. Russian aviators in 1916 took pictures of it when, it, when the, the ice began to thaw. There's even satellite photographs of it. But we can't get to see it because the Turkish government won't, really won't let us in. They, they don't want anybody in there. The, the, the That's the Soviet government. And it's encased in ice for 10 or 11 months out of the year, so it's going to be very hard to get it. You know what God's saying in this? I want you to believe without seeing. That's what he's saying. And I believe. You know what? According to the Bible, it's at Mount Ararat. So I'm going to believe it's at Mount Ararat. In Turkey, it's the Mount where Mount Ararat is. So I'm going to believe the Bible. I'm going to believe what it says. I don't have to see it to know because it's written right here. Why ravens and doves? God sent out a raven. He also sent out a dove. You remember, the raven never returned. You know why? The raven is a scavenger. And do you know what scavengers do? They eat rotten meat. And he was able to survive. The dove is very selective, as you well know. I, you know what? I got a neighbor across the street from me that feeds the birds all the time with bird seed. Every once in a while, she'll get sunflowers come up about that tall, you know. But the doves are all over the place. And the ravens come, or the dark birds, you know, the, the black birds, they come over there. The squirrels are there. Even ducks come from the canal over to them. They eat the, they eat the seeds. But I can, you can watch the doves. They're very particular you know, the, the dark birds will just kind of like attack. Even the blue jays, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of aggressive. But the dove will just sit there and wait, and she'll just wait her turn, and then she'll get. You know, a dove is selective. It did, it did return. There wasn't land suitable for the dove to land on. So she, notice it was a female that God sent out. Did you ever notice that in the animal world, like in the lion world, it's the ladies that do all the work. 
the, the male just lays there, and the ladies chase the deer into the male. Or they run down. They run it down. And in, in, the, in the world, the animal world, it's the females that are aggressive. That kind of, that kind of applies today a little bit. Um, you know, she's selective. There wasn't land suitable for her. Doves also are a source of enlightenment and guidance and peace. Kind of appropriate for this situation. And since doves are a symbol of the Holy Spirit, guess what? He enlightens, he guides, and he brings you peace. Just pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ all the way through this and the Holy Spirit. All the way through this. A lot of people read the Bible and they think it's literal. And this is literal. But it's also spiritual. So when I read the Bible, I'm looking for Jesus. All the time. Because it's all about Jesus. He comes back, or she, the dove, comes back, okay, with a freshly picked olive leaf. You know what an olive leaf represents? Peace, right? Even, even our coins in America or dollar bills, they have a dove with a, you know, the peace, the olive branch in their, in their beak. An olive branch represents peace. God is saying, you know what God's saying? My wrath is over. My wrath is over. And I read it last week, and I think it's appropriate even for this study. And people might not like it, but Isaiah 54, 7 through 10. Here's what's what was happening. You think about Noah and the ark here, and you think about these three verses. God is saying through the prophet Isaiah, for a brief moment I forsook you. You know, that year or so that Noah was in the ark, God forsook them for a brief time. hundred years sounds like a long time for us, but for God it's a brief moment. For a brief moment I forsook you, but with great compassion I will gather you back. In an outburst of anger, God was angry at the world. You know, we, we studied, uh, you know, God had to destroy these Nephilim and, these, and the evil that was going on the earth. They were continually evil. Eventually, it would have ruined the, the Messianic line. We don't got time to get back into that. In an outburst of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting loving kindness, I will take you back. I will have compassion on you. I think of every time I read something like that, I think of uh, um, Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. They're new every morning. Every morning you wake up, they're new every morning, and great is his faithfulness to us. And yet we think God's throwing thunderbolts at people. He's not doing that at all. He loves us. He's taking us back. And that's why he put Noah on the ark with, the, with the, his wife and his sons and, and their wives. With great compassion, I, with loving kindness, I will have great compassion on you, says the Lord. For this is like the days of Noah to me. Look, at, he's referring back to Noah. 
These are like the days of Noah, when I swore that the waters of Noah would not flood the earth again. He's telling you, I'm not going to do this again. In the next chapter, we're going to see a rainbow come up. That's going to be a promise. And, you know, most believers know what the rainbow means. It means that God will not destroy the wor- earth again ever with, with a flood of water. But to the, the unsaved, they don't have any idea what it's about. You know, they're probably saying scientific stuff like, well, it's the water particles in the air and the wind and the sun and all that. And it probably is. But guess who designed that? God designed it. Where are we? We're in verse 9. These are like the days of Noah to, to me when I swore that the waters of Noah would not flood the earth again. He's not going to do it again. That's a promise. <coughs> we get a lot of rain once in a while, and sometimes it floods a little bit, but God ain't never going to destroy the earth with flood ever again. Nor will I rebuke you. He's telling you, I'm not even going to rebuke you anymore. You know why? He's planning on sending his son, and all of our sin is going to be placed on him. You can find that in John 8, verse 30 and 31. For the mountains will be, may be removed and the hills may shake, but my loving kindness will not be removed from you. That's a promise. So why do we think God's an angry God today? Why is that? When he made us a promise back here in Isaiah. You know, Isaiah was like written around 750 B.C., Add 2,020 years on that. It's almost 2,800 years ago God said this. You know, my loving kindness will, I will not remove my loving kindness from you. And my covenant of peace will not be shaken. You aren't going to shake Jesus. He's the covenant of God's peace. You aren't going to shake him. The, the, the scribes and the Pharisees tried to, tried to trick him so many times, and he outsmarted them so many times, all the time, to the point where they just walk away. They throw down their stones and walk away. They just give up because he was too smart for them, because he was smart, because he's the God of all wisdom. Says the Lord who has compassion on you. See, God has compassion on us today. Lamentations is, is still in effect. The Lord's loving kindness is indeed never ceased. I, I don't say that every morning when I pray, but uh, a lot of mornings. His wrath is over. God isn't mad at us anymore. He offers you a way out, and that's through His Son, Jesus Christ. He says, "Now judgment." Now you want somebody, uh, uh, Rome or eight John eight, thirty one and thirty and thirty one. Now judgment has come into the world, and the devil is being judged. And if I be lifted up, I will draw all that judgment to myself. Not men. Remember, I go through that. If you're in this church, I can't. Oh, it really ticks me off that they that the that the translators would add a word that wasn't in the manuscripts, because the context is judgment. It is not if I be lifted up on the cross. If I if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. No, it's not. I will draw all judgment for sin to myself. That's the context. So. You're, you know, for those who believe, 
your sin goes on Jesus and we get his righteousness. Boy, that's a fair trade. I mean, that's a good trade. We get his righteousness. And he gets our sin. Man, we should be jumping up and down right now in the pews. We should be having people come up here with banners and waving them all around. You know, Jesus is Lord. We should have a sign, John 3.16 here. It's okay football games, but don't do it in church. Right, Justin, you got a boiler? Yeah, right. Yeah, it's not our. It's not the devil's judgment. The ju- that's in verse thirty, thirty or thirty-one. I think it's thirty, verse thirty of John chapter eight. The devil's being judged because Jesus has arrived, and we, for put our faith in him, he he gets our sin. For those of us who put our faith in him, our we he's judged. God's saying what Jesus is saying. I'm going to put the judgment of mankind's sin is going to be upon me. He hasn't died yet, remember. It's actually in the future tense is the way the verse reads. Yeah, yeah, right. You've got to remember, you know, the, the Bible tells us the devil is the prince of this world, but there's always a king over the prince. You know, just think of Robin Hood. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know. Uh, okay, so, so where are we? Okay, then the Lord who has compassion on you, God loves us. Yes, we did wrong, but you know, God knows that we can't be made righteous on our own, so He offers us a way out. And thank God, you and I have taken it. I want the world to take it. There's seven hundred. But seven and a half billion people on the face of this earth. And they all need Jesus. So there's lessons here we're seeing from the ark. Um, where are we? That's on my notes. In chapter 8 of Genesis, verse 13 and 14, says, The second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dried up. This comes one year and 17 days later, after they went into the ark. So Noah was afloat for seven months, and he was on Mount Ararat for five months before they even came out of the ark. So now that makes Noah, since he was 600 years old when he went on the ark, he's now 601 years old. (coughs) So here, for that year, (coughs) there's a bunch of silence. And then God says, okay, it's time to go out of the ark. So Noah went out in obedience again. And it's interesting, <coughs> Noah didn't go anywhere until God spoke. He didn't say, hey, the ground's dried up, let's go. No, he waited around until God said, go. So it's okay to, what can I say, be patient. And you know the verses, you know, like, Be still and know that I am God. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. 
They'll mount up like wings with eagles. They'll walk and not be weary. They'll run and not faint. You know, it's okay to wait. So wait until God tells you to move. Remember I taught you on Sunday about the Ark of the Covenant. You know, the Ark of the Covenant was where God dwelled behind the Holy of Holies. He dwelt in, in the Ark of the Covenant. And before they ever built the tabernacle, or not before, but they ever built the temple where the Ark never moved, but in the, when they were in the wilderness, in the, in the tabernacle, when the Ark moved, they followed. So now, Jesus is your ark. He lives in your heart. So you stay where you're at until God tells you to move. And then as the ark moves you, the presence of God is in your heart. When he moves you, you go. You go. We find out that there's the first mention of an altar in verse 20 and 22. It says that Noah built an altar. Noah's first response here to his salvation is to praise and worship God and to offer sacrifice. That should be our attitude today. The sacrifice has already been done. Our job is to praise and worship. And, of course, the New Testament tells us to grow in grace and in knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise and worship should be our attitude if you, I even mentioned on Sunday, if you have a problem with worship, there's something wrong. There's, you need some deliverance somewhere. Because God saved you. Jump up and down. Rejoice. Wave your hands in the air. You don't have to be out of order to do that. You can be do it nice and easy. David was, if you read the scriptures, when the Ark of the Covenant was brought into Jerusalem, David if anybody was out of order, it would have been David, but God doesn't say he's out of order. God bless him for it. If you're out of order here and do something wacky, I'm going to come and talk to you. <laughs> Just so you know. But if you want to come up and worship the Lord and stand before the altar and praise the Lord with your hands or bow on your face, God bless you. But don't get out of order. I've had to do that, I think, once or twice in this church since we've been here. Noah built the altar. He praised and worshipped the Lord, and then he offered sacrifice. And now we know why he took seven clean animals. Seven of the, each clean animal. That means he brought seven sheep, seven doves, you know, the clean animals, whatever were, were clean. He brought them and he sacrificed most likely one of them unto the Lord of each of each clean animal. That was his act of faith. So if he took a lamb, one, one of the seven lambs, and he sacrificed it, it was a picture of the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world as John talked about in chapter 1 of the book of John, verse 30, verse 20, John 24. No, that's the wrong verse. John 129. John 129. So he sacrificed a few animals. The Lord smelled the soothing aroma 
Boy, that's a big contrast from he saw the wickedness of men, and now he smells the sweet aroma of, the, of a man who loved him and sacrificed unto him. The flood had just purified the earth, and it bought some time for man. He's given us another chance to walk with him, starting with these eight people on the earth. Another chance. Man has another chance. Remember, Cain's line, Cain's line is destroyed at this point. Do you realize that? The Nephilim are destroyed at this point. Methuselah was dead just a few days or a few weeks before the flood hit the earth. You know, Methuselah, who lived 969 years, the oldest man in the Word of God. Now, God smells the sweet aroma. Here's Exodus 29, verse 18. And thou shalt burn the whole ram upon the altar. It is a burnt offering unto the Lord. It is a sweet savor, uh, an offering made by fire to the Lord. Jesus is our sacrifice. And remember, he, he's, he's who justifies us. Remember, I have this justification. We taught on it a couple months ago. There's a flyer on the back at a table if you want it. I gave the illustration of a mother lamb gave birth to a little lamb, and the little lamb died. Then there was another sheep in the sheepfold that the mother gave birth to a lamb, but the mother died. So now the shepherd, he has a lamb without a mother, and he has a mother without a lamb. So he figures, okay, I'll, I'll take the, the little lamb and give it to the mother that lost her lamb, her little ewe lamb. So mommy comes over, she smells the, she smells the other lamb, the ewe lamb, and she just walks away. The shepherd's going, what's going on here? That should have just accepted it. But she didn't accept it because it wasn't the smell of her lamb. So the shepherd gets a bright idea. He skins the little ewe lamb that died, and he ties the hide over the lamb that lost its mother. And now the mother lamb, he presents the little ewe lamb with the... the uh, skin on top of it of the lamb that died the mother lamb comes over and she says that smells familiar that's my little lamb so she takes it and she begins to nurse it and see that's what it is a picture of jesus in us he clothes us with his righteousness and when god smells his son upon us then he accepts us into this kingdom And that's just a picture of justification. And if you turn to Isaiah 61, it says in verse 10, He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. And that's what he's done. He took the robe of Jesus, wrapped it around us, and when God sees us, he, he really don't see us. He sees his Son who lives in us. So that's why when you go to Matthew 22, verse 11, and it says, When the king came to see his guests, he saw there a man which had not had any wedding garments on. 
and he had them removed. If you don't have the wedding garments of the robe of Jesus Christ on you, world, you will not make the kingdom of heaven. You will be sent away because God does not smell the sweet-smelling aroma of his son's righteousness on us. Do you get the picture? It's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture of what God has done for us. The Lord smells the smooth, soothing aroma. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, says John the Baptist. So when, the, when Noah, you know, sacrificed these animals, it rose as a sweet-smelling aroma to him because of the blood that was shed. It was a sweet-smelling aroma because he knew what he was going to do someday. And that's what I said on Sunday. Why is it so bloody in the Old Testament? It's bloody in the Old Testament so that you know when the blood of Christ is going to be shed, you're going to respect that blood. And if you don't respect that blood, go to chapter 10 of Hebrews, and it tells you if you trample underfoot the precious blood of, of the Son of God, God, have mercy on you. This is the Son of God. We can't trample on the blood of the Almighty God. So the flood served to purify mankind temporarily, as did the sacrifices when they began to sacrifice in the tabernacle in the desert and, they, and in, the, in the Jerusalem until Jesus died. And then we see that now the sacrifice has ended because there's no longer, no longer does blood have to be shed because the blood of Almighty God Himself has was shed. And it serves, and His blood serves to purify us. And then there's in, in verse, uh, in the later verses of this chapter, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, nor will I destroy every living thing as I have done. God was sad about this. He's still compassionate. God loves the animals too. Did you know that? You know there's a scripture that says, blessed is the man who takes care of his beast. If you have a dog or a cat or a cow or a lamb in your yard, God wants you to take care of them. Imagine before our, before, before our, in our, our parents' or grandparents' days, you know, they had horses. Those horses, they cared for them. They took care of them. They brushed them out. They bathed them. They fed them. They made sure that they had rest. He says he's never again going to fear, I mean, destroy the earth with a global flood. We find from the scriptures that the earth's going to end in fire next. Because 2 Peter 3.10 says this, The elements will melt away with a fervent heat, and the earth will be burned up. That's the way it's going to end next time. And why? If you read the New Testament, you'll find out because the imagination of a man's heart is evil continually from his, from his youth. The flood was a temporary solution until Messiah could come because the world wasn't ready yet. 
And then it says in the last verses, I'm going to turn back to Genesis 8. It says in the last verses, While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. Listen, key verse, while the earth remains, there's going to be seasons while the earth remains. Why are there seasons? Well, I mentioned to you, if you went to Arizona, there's a one-mile-wide crater that's 570 foot deep. It would be, to do that crater, it would take 20 million tons of dynamite to blow a hole that big in the earth. In Bostwania, Guiana, there's a six-mile diameter crater. Deep in Bay, Deep Bay in Canada, there's an eight-mile diameter crater. In Sahara, Africa, 11-mile diameter crater. In Mistaston Lake in Canada, 17.4-mile crater diameter. And Clearwater Lakes, Canada, one's 20 miles diameter, another one at 13.7 mile diameter. That's why I tell you, the earth was on a straight up axis. And during the flood, it must have been hit with, with meteors that knocked it on its 23 and a half degree axis. The perfect, by the way, if it were 24 degrees, life wouldn't exist. If it was 23 degrees, life wouldn't exist on earth. 23 and a half degrees. God knew where to hit the earth at what particular time in order to achieve that, that 23 and a half degree axis. Is God good or what? Is he all powerful or what? Now, you may not believe that, but I'm telling you, that's what most scientists say. It had to happen. It had to turn from tropical to to. Uh, Seasons, and it tells you right here it did. Agricultural time and one of the seasons, you know, they got temperate, the times where there's cold and heat. You got winter and summer. You got day and night. You know, in the kingdom of heaven, and I mentioned it Sunday, you know, that when God said, let there be light, it was not the sun or the other suns in the universe. He began to shine. And then he created lights in the heavens. And when, we, when it's all over, we don't need the sun anymore. The Lord's going to illuminate. And it will always be day. I don't even think you're going to have to sleep. I think we don't even have to eat, but we will eat because God knows we enjoy it. <laughs> and he enjoys it. And it sets the scene for the, you know, this is this whole chapter. Everything that's going on is setting the scene for this flood. And there's more, more craters on the earth. There's another one in uh, Massachusetts, Canada, 62 mile wide diameter. And one in, uh, in, New Ma in Crete, is it Mexico, 105 mile diameter crater. 
And that's what caused the extinction of some of the animals. They couldn't survive in the, some of them probably like dinosaurs just couldn't take the change and they died out. So, I'm going to end it right here. Lessons we learned from the ark. Pretty much you aren't going to see the ark much after this chapter. Number one, all you people out there, don't miss this boat. The ark of Jesus Christ. Don't miss it. But as many as received him, he gave you the right to become a child of God. Why? Because you received Jesus as a Savior. He came to his own people, and those who were his own people did not receive him. But as many as did receive him, they became children of God. They became Christians. And you know what the first Christians were? They were Jews. Number one, don't miss the boat. Number two, remember, we're all in the same boat, everybody on the face of the earth. 7.5 billion people on the earth, we're all in the same boat. You want to you wanna be saved? You have one choice. As the people in Noah's day, they had one choice to get on the boat. Instead, they laughed at the preacher Noah. Number three, you got to plan ahead. Boy, you plan for your... Your, your college, you plan for your career, you plan for your marriage, you plan for your children, but you never plan for your eternity. Plan ahead. Think about eternity. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Number four, stay fit. We got to stay fit. We got to uh, keep as healthy as possible. Noah was 600 years old when this happened. And when you get into the, into the days of Joshua and Caleb and Moses, Caleb was 89 or 85 years old, and he was still fighting. He says, I was 45 years old when we entered the land, when we came out of the land of the wilderness. And he says, now I'm 85, and I'm as strong as I was when I was 40. Take care of yourself. My wife keeps telling me to do that all the time. Quit drinking soda or potato chips or something like that. <laughs> but I just have to have them. But I do drink as best can or myself as I think, you know, as I, as I can. And so do you. Don't listen to the critics. The foolish man says in his heart there is no God. Don't listen to these people. They're nuts. They can't see beyond. They're blind to the spiritual realm. Because they have not been made alive in the Spirit. They are not born again, like Jesus said. Number three, six, build your future on high ground. The Lord says, whoever, how did he say it? He says, whoever hears my words, these words of mine, and obeys them, he will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. That when the rains descend and the winds blow and the earthquakes come, it will not fall because it's founded on the rock. And if you study the scriptures, you and I both know Jesus Christ is the rock of your salvation. Psalm 118 and many other places. Build your future on high ground. Jesus is as high as you're going to get. 
There's nobody higher than him except the Father. For safety's sake, travel in pairs. When I go out and minister, I very seldom do it alone because you need two sometimes. Remember, Jesus sent them out two by two. Now, I've done ministered one-on-one, but if I can all help it, I'm bringing somebody with me. Not because I'm scared, because it's a principle. Speed is not always an advantage. You remember John outran Peter to the tomb. Peter ran in. Nothing happened. But John, he was the slower one getting into the tomb, but he believed. He believed. So just because you're fast don't mean that you're going to win the race. You know the tortoise and the hare story. When you're stressed, we talked about it in this chapter, float a while. Wait upon the Lord. Be still and know that he's God. And he'll begin to speak. Remember, and you all know this, the ark was built by an amateur but the Titanic by professionals. But listen, the amateurs were listening to God. Big difference. God designed it. Noah just followed the directions. God's direction is Jesus Christ in the Bible. And number 11, no matter the storm, there's always a rainbow waiting for you. You know the verse. Everybody quotes it. Rome, uh, John, Romans 8, 28. That all things work together for the good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. There are principles there. All things work together for the good, number one, to you who love God. Number two, if you're working according to his purpose, all things work together for the good to those who love God are called according to his purpose. So there's a lot of lessons. A lot of people don't really see all this as they read through the Bible. And that's why we're told to study. Study the Bible. I'm a teacher, but I preach, too. But my strong point is teaching. But I can apply it to preaching, too. And I do many, many times. And I think the church today needs the teachers. You know why? Because the church is shallow. And it's time for them to grow up. It's time for us to grow up. I want you to grow up out there. So keep find yourself a good teacher and listen. And I'm sure if he's a good teacher, that means he knows how to preach. So we'll be in Chapter 8 in the coming months. We might have something different here shortly because the holidays are coming up. But actually, yes, we're going to do something different next week. But I'll be back in Genesis on the next Sunday after that, or Thursday after that, okay? 
All right, Father, thank you for this word today. Thank you for your word, Lord. It's so beautiful. I wish we all saw the beauty in your word. I know when I read it, I want to see it every day. Every time I put something together, Lord, I have to know that you're in it and that you are directing this. And I want the people to see it. And that's why I always pray that let us hear what the Holy Spirit has to say to the church today. To you be the glory, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless the church. I love you all.